Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, welcome to American Potential, and what a great episode we've got today talking about the, the start of the new Congress, the 118th Congress just got started this past January, and Americans for Prosperity asked the question, how will they be defined? And we asked that question in a new campaign called Dear Congress. This campaign asks members of Congress if they will continue to play political theater or will they actually work to remove barriers for the American people? This campaign focuses on how to reduce inflation by passing a real budget, reforming the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, which we're going to talk about a little bit, and giving individuals and businesses more options when it comes to earning a paycheck. So today on the show, we have Americans for Prosperity Vice President of Government Affairs, Akash Chogali. Akash, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so let's talk about this Dear Congress campaign. This new Congress is out there, and we've seen so many Congresses in the past that play political games. They don't actually pass things that help and make a difference in the lives of the American people. And we want this Congress to be different. So let's talk about this Dear Congress campaign and effort that Americans for Prosperity is putting forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head in in your opener there, Jeff. What we've seen for the last couple of years is a Congress that was committed not to addressing the problems the American people were facing, but instead just in advancing partisan priorities. There were a number of examples. I think nothing did so more than the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, and I'm using air quotes. Um, But that bill last summer was really nothing more than a collection of longstanding Democratic partisan priorities for the last 40 years that they jammed into one bill. And because inflation was a big issue, they just named it the Inflation Reduction Act and went on their merry way, even though the bill did nothing to actually address inflation. That's exactly what we want to see less of, right? Is grandstanding and just using political power to advance partisan priorities and instead using political power to really advance the people's priorities. Um, And so it's a really positive campaign that we're out there running television ads, digital ads, doing events with the grassroots, meeting members of Congress in their home districts here in Washington, D.C., where I am just encouraging them with a positive message to change course from what we've been through and really just focus on the priorities of the American people, things like inflation and energy costs, the immigration, you know, border crisis, things like that, instead of just trying to score political points, because frankly, the American people have had more than enough of that the last few years. Akash, we talk about government you know, imposing barriers on the American people. And that's what this show is about. And then, of course, breaking those barriers and how we're able uh, to do that and, and the, the great work at Americans for Prosperity to do that. You know, you, you mentioned inflation, and I want to go back to that. I mean, that inflation was caused by government, right? Go- government causes inflation. We saw the massive amount of pain that that inflicted on the American people. These these bad decisions by policymakers, particularly in Washington, that that increased the, the amount of money in the system and caused inflation. We want to we want to have a Congress that is focusing on solving problems for the American people. Maybe you could talk about that and just 
before we get too much into this dear Congress effort, you know, that that's a great example of how these barriers are created by Congress with, uh, you know, with inflation, for example. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, we've in the last three years, Congress and, and the executive branch spent upwards of five trillion dollars with a T. That is absolutely unheard of. Um, and it should be no, you know, no surprise that when you dump trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy, but you do nothing to address some of the underlying problems, such as the supply chain crises, labor shortages, things like that, of course, prices are going to go up. And, and that's exactly what we saw happen. So that's a really common sense one that I think the American people really grasped last summer when they were seeing empty store shelves, skyrocketing prices, long gas lines for $5 a gallon gas. Um, and really just charting a better path forward from there is what we're focused on with our, our policy agenda and really just also this Dear Congress campaign that simply what are you there to do, right? You're there to serve the interests of your constituents, the American people. Um, you don't do that by spending trillions and trillions of dollars and just serving the whims of um, you know political extremists or an ideological agenda or, or political priorities, things like that. Um, that's really what we're urging Congress to do is, is again, just refocus not on political priorities, but on the people's priorities. And so this Dear Congress campaign, this this effort is uh, is really focused. It's a positive message. It's not a negative message. It's a positive message asking them to really fix some of these problems. And I want to get into what some of these problems are. First and foremost is the federal budget, the the deficit and the national debt. Uh, and and as we see that, that's the biggest threat that's out there. And, uh, you know, wh- what about the federal budget can be changed in order to to really serve the American people rather than to serve the politicians and the uh, the leaders in Washington and in Congress? What can we do to change the budget, the federal budget process that would that would make a difference here? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people think of the federal budget. Um, frankly, they probably don't think much, but what they hear on the news is, is at the end of every year, we get into the situation where it's either, you know, one of these must pass bills or it's a government shutdown, right? We constantly hear this threat of the government shutdown. And then we know that we're $32 trillion in debt. Those are kind of the two things that people are used to hearing. And, and both, frankly, are a sign of dysfunction in Congress and a broken federal budget process. Um, and what I mean by that is, is two things, Jeff. So, First, we should never be in this situation where at the end of the year, we either have to pass this one giant, what they call omnibus bill that has all of, of the federal budget in it. We either have to pass this one bill or the government shuts down. That's, so that's not how it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work right now is federal spending is broken up into 12 buckets. And throughout the fiscal year, Congress is supposed to debate those each of those buckets, right? The authorizing committees decide what's in there, how much money they're going to spend. They take things in and out. And each one is constructed, debated, amended, and passed on its own merits. Um, what then happens is, you know, you compile all those and then you've sort of done the federal budget process properly. That has not happened in 25 years. And so because they have failed to follow that, you know, what's called the appropriations process, they get into the situation where at the end of the year, they have to pass all of them all at once. And so there's no opportunity to really dive in, see what's in there, take things in and out. And so it sometimes can be, Forget weeks or months, even years before we know the kind of nonsense that's jammed into these Christmas tree packages, pet projects, wasteful spending. I mean, just all kinds of waste, fraud and abuse. Um, And so that's problem number one, right, is we just don't even follow the process as it's currently laid out. 
Problem number two, which is the real driver of our national debt, is that even that process that's currently set forth that we don't follow, even that doesn't really take into account all of our spending. And here's why, Jeff. The federal budget actually only accounts for about a third of all the money that our federal government spends. That annual process, it only counts what's called discretionary spending, what Congress has an annual say over year over year. More than two thirds of all federal spending is growing on autopilot, which means Congress never touches it. The programs are set, they're growing and growing and growing and they're driving our debt and we have you know, $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities and Congress simply never has to debate or discuss them unless they really, really have the appetite to, which of course they don't. And what I mean on that side of things is what's called mandatory spending. And so that includes things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, the interest on the debt that we're borrowing. That's all mandatory spending, and it actually makes up the vast majority of our spending. And so what we need when you talk about a real budget is a budget process that takes into account all of our spending, right? The discretionary stuff that we talked about in that appropriations process, and also all this mandatory spending, our debt interest, our entitlements. We need a process that you know makes all those things compete against one another. So we really know how much we're taking in, what we're spending on, and that we can know that we're doing so in a way that's responsible for our citizens today and our future tomorrow. So you're talking about some of the federal budget reforms, and that's certainly part of this Dear Congress effort and campaign that Americans for Prosperity is is uh, is pushing. But what what else besides the budget reforms? What other things can can Congress do that would serve the interests of the American people and make lives better for the American people? Yeah, there's there's quite a bit, but there's two other things I'd focus on, Jeff. So on the, there's the budget and tax side, which we touch on a little bit. The two others that have really made an impact over the last few years, one is energy regulation, or regulation in general, but specifically in the energy space. Um, you know, we all remember last summer when we were paying $5 a gallon for gas, and in the months before that, this administration very openly waged war on the most affordable, abundant, reliable sources of energy. Um, you know, that's not a coincidence, right? That President Biden campaigned on doing these things and literally from day one followed through with those promises, right? With additional regulations, restrictions, cancellations of projects. Um, we know that when you restrict the supply, it raises the cost, right? And, and that, of course, is the case with energy as well. And so one of the things that we're trying to do, not just in the energy space, but really across the board with these federal agencies, is making sure that they're not overstepping the authority that's actually granted to them to create these regulations, and that when they do regulate, it's being done with proper oversight, proper transparency, proper accountability from Congress and from the American people, right? So you don't have, you know, agencies promulgating regulations that are going to cost the economy hundreds of billions of dollars but then Congress having no say in the matter, the American people having no say in the matter through their representatives. And so we really want to reform the entire administrative process, right? The formulation of regulations, the transparency, the accountability. Energy is just where we felt the issue most acutely. But that's another area um, that I think is, is a really important one that we want Congress to address. And then the third one is in the labor and employment space, right? This is a place where Americans for Prosperity has been really active for a long time. Um, but we saw all these, you know, we're still seeing labor shortages and workforce issues, people coming, you know, stuck on the sidelines, trying to get them to come off the sidelines back into work. And so reforming our labor laws to make sure that they work for workers, small businesses, employers, 
in a changing, evolving, and innovative 21st century economy. And so what does that mean? Let, let's start with that. We'll go back to NEPA and the environmental stuff, and I, I want to get a little bit more into detail on that. But on the labor stuff, um, wh- what does that mean to, to sort of update and, and, uh, and fix some of the labor and employment laws at the federal level? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think what I'd start out by telling you is things are okay, generally speaking, right? Our federal labor laws have generally been okay. And I, I, the reason they've frankly been okay, Jeff, is that Congress hasn't been able to touch them for decades, right? You and I both know that too often these days when, when Congress gets its hands on something, it's making things worse, not better. Um, but, you, you know, we know that we're in an evolving economy, a 21st century economy. We have a lot more um, small business growth, startups, independent contracting, people working remotely, people looking for flexibility. Um, and so there's a few things that Congress can do to really help facilitate that. And I'll give you a couple examples. The first is in the labor union space, right? Labor unions have kind of become this antiquated fossil of a, of a 20th century economy. People kind of think of, of assembly lines, manufacturing plants, things like that, where every job was just one size fits all thing where collective bargaining made more sense, right? You had one contract that covered a thousand people in a shop. Um, That's not really the case anymore. And so unions really are not accountable enough and responsive enough to the workers that they claim to represent or the ones that they're trying to represent when they go in to a new workplace. And so we want to reform labor laws to make sure that the unionization process is actually fair to workers. And so that's things like a secret ballot election, right? If your workplace is going to vote on having a union or not, you should be able to vote in secret, just the same way you vote for the president or for your member of Congress, right? It's free from harassment and, uh, and intimidation, right? And, and the information that you have that's shared with the union, you should be able to decide if you want your home address, your home phone number, your cell phone number, your, you know, your work location. If you want that shared with a union or not, that should be up to you. And so those are just a couple of the things that we're working on to make sure that the labor unionization process is actually fair and it's accountable and and workers have a real say in the matter. And then you get into the flexibility stuff, right? And there's a couple other issues here, Jeff, but the one I'd really point to is independent contracting. We've seen a huge growth in independent contracting since the sharing economy um, really came around. That's things like Uber, Lyft, Instacart. Obviously the gig economy has been a a great example of this, Um, but it really goes far beyond that, right? You've got people that work as independent contractor or freelance journalists, graphic designers, truck drivers, really, you name it, every sector of the economy has them. Um, But there's a big push to to undermine independent contracting, either through legislation or through regulation that this administration and the last Congress was pushing, right? And what they want to do is, you know, is decrease the ability to be an independent contractor, which makes you an employee of the people you work for, which, you know, then of course means you're eligible to be unionized is, is one of the consequences of that. Sure. What we're trying to do is preserve that flexibility for workers that really like it, which is why we've seen a huge growth in independent contracting the last few years. Yeah. And look, I mean, if people don't want to be an independent contractor, you can go find a job that you don't. You can find a union job. You can find a non-union job. uh, You can be an independent contractor. But there are people who really enjoy that. I mean, I always think of hopping in an Uber and you know, taking it somewhere and talking to the Uber driver and they're like, I love this. It's very flexible. I can start and stop when I want. And, you know, and, and so that that's an important aspect of this for many, many people. And again, we talk about this all the time on this show, but just because you may not like to do a, a, do a job or do something a certain way doesn't mean that other people wouldn't. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do here is provide the most freedom, the most flexibility 
to uh, to as many Americans as we possibly can. Um, so those are great points. Let me let me ask you about the environmental policy uh, stuff because I think that's been frustrating to people. It's been really a political football when it comes to you know the uh, the 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 pipeline, the cancellation of the pipeline to uh, new oil and gas permitting uh, issues on federal lands and things like that. It, it seems like it's very difficult for us to to extract particularly oil and gas out of uh, from underneath the United States because our government is creating barriers to doing that because they want to push us more towards uh, different choices. It, it, what can Congress do to change that and to make it better, more affordable, uh, uh, the above all energy policy that we want. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of goes back to what I was saying with regulations in general, right? So, you know, this administration is very specifically and very acutely focused on, you know, the most abundant forms of energy, coal, oil, natural gas that uh, that we really need to heat our homes and fuel our cars and, and really, frankly, do anything productive in this economy right now. It's heavily, heavily reliant on fossil fuels. And so attacking those forms of energy in particular is going to have exactly the consequences that that we think it would, right? It's going to make things more expensive, more difficult. It's going to kill jobs. Um, and you saw that, right? You saw that with the pipeline cancellation. You see that with increasing energy costs, increasing the cost of doing business or producing anything in this country. Um, but as far as energy writ large, you know, it, it really is. There are regulations that inhibit all forms of energy, Jeff, right? I mean, building infrastructure for wind energy or solar energy, it still requires energy and it, and it requires construction and it requires all these other business inputs that regulation too often gets in the way of, right? Whether it's labor regulations or energy regulations or transportation regulations or you name it. And so we want to make sure that that process is at the same time keeping people safe. It's also not inhibiting growth and innovation in our economy. And too often that's what we're seeing, right? We're seeing overzealous regulators at agencies way overstepping their statutory authority, the authority actually granted to them by the law, pushing regulations uh, that are really inhibiting the forward progress of our economy. What that's doing is is a couple of things, Jeff. One, it's undermining our system of representative government. I, I think that's a pretty basic one that folks should be concerned about when you have unaccountable bureaucrats making rules that your member of Congress has no say in. Um, I mentioned that it's it's slowing down the growth of our economy. It's inhibiting, inhibiting new jobs and higher wages. The third, when you talk about the environment, it's actually not doing anything to protect our environment either in a lot of cases. And I'll give you an example that has to do, again, with these fossil fuels. When we inhibit the development, the production, the processing and transportation of oil and gas in this country, the demand for that oil and gas doesn't disappear. It simply goes to other countries. So instead of developing that energy here in the United States, in Texas or Pennsylvania or Oklahoma, North Dakota, it's happening in Venezuela and Iran and in Saudi Arabia. It's happening, one, in countries where the leadership often hates us. And two, it's happening in countries who do it dirtier and less safely than we do here in the United States. And so you're not actually reducing the use of fossil fuels. All you're, all you're doing is pushing it to other countries where it's more unreliable, more unsafe, and it's dirtier. And so it really is not accomplishing anything that proponents of these regulations wish it would, but it's inhibiting us Seriously. So that's one of the things that we're, again, hoping Congress can start setting forth a better path forward. And when you do that, you're forcing the American people to bear the burden of those decisions, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. if they're producing oil and gas in other 
countries, and many of which are are our adversaries, that their citizens are getting cheaper oil and gas, and our citizens are not, and and so we're the ones paying the price for this. And and I think that's what you're saying is, you know, we just we need to have a a policy that treats the American people more fairly. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, we we kind of saw this happening in Europe, right, where. You know, they made a bunch of super aggressive regulatory decisions trying to move away from fossil fuels and embrace green energy. Um, green energy, love it or hate it, is simply not ready for prime time in the sense that, you know, entire economies the size of Europe can be reliant on it. Europe, you know, at the same time for natural gas was heavily reliant on Russia. When that became uncertain because of the war in Ukraine, they were, you know, they were up a creek without a paddle, right, where they just simply did not have the energy infrastructure any longer uh, to sustain themselves and, and heat people's homes and things like that to the extent necessary. And you actually saw a lot of these really progressive European countries start rolling back some of those mandates, restrictions, and, and more aggressive ventures, um, you know, when when push really came to shove there. And so we don't want to be in a position like that where folks in, in the Northeast United States and New England, where I'm from, can't heat their homes in the winter, you know, those cold New England winters, because we don't have the energy available to do so. And so we're really trying to head off the worst of the worst here by making sure that um, we really embrace American energy dominance and, and we're doing business with our allies in Canada, moving energy you know, from there to be processed here, things like that. Like you said, it, it's going to reduce energy costs for families, reduce costs of doing business for, for businesses here. We can keep more jobs here, grow more jobs, and really just have a lot more innovation and prosperity. Uh, energy is really essential to that. And the regulatory environment in energy and in other areas is an absolute necessity to get right if we're going to be do so successfully. Is there anything that's a bigger driver in the co- in inf- number one in inflation and in obviously the cost of energy than than this issue itself? I mean, it seems like you know if if it costs more money, whether the price of gas goes up or you know the price of 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 home heating oil or or natural gas goes up, that drives up the cost of every single product in the United States of America, does it not? Yeah, it, it literally is that simple, Jeff, right? Everything that we do in this country requires energy, right? The, the tires on your car, the gas in your car, the, um, you know, the electricity to, to power, you know, power your workplace, the, if you take the train to work, right, the train runs on energy that we need. So, um, you know, it, it, I think it's, it's as simple as you said, we simply cannot have a functioning, efficient uh, and prosperous economy without having affordable, abundant, and reliable energy. The regulatory state has a huge impact on that. We talked about spending a little bit, right? The federal budget process. Other issues make a big difference too, right? Our, our free trade agreements, things like that. But energy is, is absolutely essential to a prosperous economy. Yeah, and it just seems like we've created this false choice. The politicians in Washington have created this false choice that we can either have a clean environment, or we can develop energy. And that's, I mean, that truly is a false choice because we can do both, right? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And that, that's kind of what I was alluding to, right? Where, you know, with, with fossil fuels and traditional energy, we do it cleaner and more efficiently than anyone else in the world. And that's why one of the things you've seen um, with expansion of fracking across, you know, many parts of this country, Pennsylvania, Texas, North Dakota, our emissions in this country have plummeted the last like 10, 15 years. And it's because, again, natural gas burns cleaner and we do it cleaner. We do it more efficiently. And so we're making incredible gains as is 
in environmental progress without these top-down mandates and these one-size-fits-all diktats from, you know, wherever they're from. Uh, We're making progress. And then to the extent that, you know, folks are wanting to embrace clean energy, there are far too many regulations the way of clean energy holding those things back as well. And I think if we address those issues, we wouldn't need to be subsidizing it to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars like, you know, some on the left want to be doing. I think it, it really is that simple. Let's reduce our regulatory environment, reform our administrative state, and really embrace an all of the above energy philosophy that also protects the health and cleanliness of our environment. So what can people do if they want to participate in this Dear Congress effort? Um, and I know that Americans for Prosperity uh, helped bring activists into congressional offices to help deliver that message. There's there's a social media campaign. There's a lot out there. But but if the average citizen wants to get involved here, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. They can go online, our website, americansforprosperity.org. And there you'll see our campaign, our dear 118th Congress. There's a lot you can do. Share our ad right on your Facebook or Twitter page. Right, You've got a nice one minute ad that kind of just tells the story of, of what we're trying to do. You can sign up there. And once you do that, we'll give you the resources to contact your member of Congress uh, and encourage them to do the right thing, right? To be a positive force in this country uh, for better public policy, right? We need to encourage our lawmakers to do the right thing, applaud them when they do do the right thing, right? A lot of it is just criticizing lawmakers when they do the wrong thing and, and blowing up the phone lines and things like that. Um, this campaign is different. So, so again, our website, americansprosperity.org can get folks involved. They can see our ad, sign up, contact their member of Congress and really just be involved going forward as these policy battles come up throughout the year to make sure that they're engaged and their voice is being heard. All right. Americans for Prosperity Vice President of Government Affairs, Akash Chogali, thank you for uh, for being with us. And look, if you would uh, if you agree, if you're listening to this podcast and you agree with what we've talked about, what Akash talked about today, you have the opportunity to let your elected official know by signing the Dear Congress letter. And if you go, there is a link in the podcast description. So if you just look into the description of this podcast episode, you'll see the link right there. You can click on it and it will take you to that Dear Congress letter. You can sign it. It's just as simple and easy as that. If you'd like to get connected with an Americans for Prosperity state chapter, uh, be sure to email me at jeff at AmericanPotential.com and I'll make sure that that gets passed along and that they get in touch with you and talk to you about how you might get involved in your state as well. The American Potential Podcast is always working on stories to help keep you informed as well as inspired. And we'd love for you to stay connected by liking this podcast and by subscribing to our channel. And you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on YouTube. All right. Uh, Thank you, Akash. Appreciate you joining us and being with us today so much. You got it. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks for listening to American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.